Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. They're either awake or mad. It's yeah, it means never again can you sit quietly in your space. You have been called out, and now we know you can sing. You actually sounded really good. But I realize we lost a screen there somewhere along the way, so that's probably it, you know, because we can't possibly know the words. <laughs> totally lost, so we can't see it, you know, in stereo. So we're talking today about what it means to live in interdependent relationships. And so really, that song sort of captures the whole sermon. So God bless you. Go home. <laughs> sing it to each other. Now, it turns out that uh, as we think about this little series, Attitude Matters, the size of my head has something to do with the amount of feedback we get. It turns out that Attitude matters, and relationships have something to do with attitude. Amen? Amen? That the health of our relationships. So we talked last week about the fact that in this biblical model, as Jesus boils it down for us, as he tries to take it all and simplify it, he says, here it is. Let me wrap it up for you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then, of course, people ask questions because that wasn't simple enough. Well, exactly who is my neighbor? I don't want to be loving people I don't need to love. <laughs> Can you narrow this thing down a little bit? So Jesus summarizes it even further. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. On, these, on this hangs all the law and the prophets, he says, Matthew 7. And so it turns out that, that this simple idea of treating other people with honor and respect, treating other people the way we want to be treated. And that doesn't just mean treating other people who think like we think and act like we act and believe what we believe. It means all other people. We treat them with honor and respect as we want to be treated. And so that got tricky. And so Paul's writing this letter to the church at Galatia, and what we're finding is that he has brought to them the gospel of grace, and now after he's left, there are Judaizers that have come from Jerusalem to say, no, 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 that gospel of grace, I wish I had a dollar for every time I heard this, that gospel of grace is not the real gospel. You've got you to layer in a bunch of bad news with the good news. You've got to layer in some rules and regulations because if you don't live out this stuff, then you're not really in it. And the people in Galatia start to buy into it. They start to believe it. They start to go, oh, so maybe it's not all about grace. Maybe it's about personal performance. And so Paul writes the letter, and he says, I, I can't imagine that you so quickly have abandoned the gospel of grace that was given to you in Christ, that you would rather take on that yoke of slavery instead of celebrate this yoke of grace. And so we talked last week about this. If we're going to change our attitude... We're going to have to focus on the fact that God has poured out grace on us and poured out grace on us and poured out grace on us and poured out grace on us. Amen? And let's acknowledge this too. We need God to pour out grace on us. We need God to pour out grace on us. We need God to pour out grace on us. Amen? 
And it seems like sometimes in the life of the church, we have capital crimes and then we have lesser crimes. I mean, I know we've never formalized that theology in the Protestant movement, you know, mortal sins and venial sins and all the things, but we do kind of have that, don't we? Like there are certain things you cannot do, but generally you could have a terrible attitude as long as you don't do certain things. Amen. And yet, the Scripture throws those things all together, doesn't it? Here's a list of all the things not to do. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Orgy, sexual immorality, blah, blah, blah. It's, a, it's quite a graphic list. And don't grumble. In the same list. <laughs> together. But we don't think about that. And so it turns out we all need grace. And some of us that need grace the most don't know it. Jesus dealt with it all the time. I didn't come to call the well. I came to be here for the sick. And we know he didn't think the well were well. He just knew that they thought they were and there wasn't much getting grace on them because they didn't need any and didn't want any and they weren't looking for any. Whereas the sinners, even the name sort of indicates they had an understanding of where they stood. Amen? I don't know. When you read the Bible, do you identify more with the Pharisees or the sinners? Sinners. Yeah, well. That's a healthy place to be. And so he pours out grace on us, so then we pour out grace on others. And I'm so glad we do. But it turns out it's not just about this relational foundation of God's grace in us. It's also about living in an interconnected, an interdependent kind of relationship with each other. I love this little story. You've probably heard it before if you've been around for very long. It's about a little boy. He's going to bed at night, and he's scared. You know, the closet door's half open. There's something under the bed. There's something scratching at the window. He's terrified. He calls his parents, you know, screams in the night. We've all been there, one side or the other of this story. And his parents come in, and they say, hey, hey, there's nothing to be worried about. There's nothing under the bed. They turn on the lights, shine the light. It'll close the closet door, open the window. Oh, it's just a branch. You're okay. Let's pray over you, God. Watch over this child. Keep him safe. You know, now just remember, you know, Jesus is watching over you. You have nothing to be afraid of. Let's all get some sleep. Everybody goes back to bed. And in a few minutes, yelling again, Mom, Dad. Dad comes in. Listen, didn't we tell you that Jesus was watching over you? Yeah. But right now I need somebody with skin on. Amen? And I think we all need somebody with skin on. Way more than we would ever admit. Way more than we would ever acknowledge. Because that's how you and I were created. We were created to be interdependent, to need other people. We were created in a way to be relational. In fact, if you just wanted to stop for a moment and you wanted to think about what that looks like, there's so much of the biblical model that, that models that idea. So for a moment, let's, if you've not heard this language before, independence, codependence, interdependence, then let me give you a little tutorial. Everybody super excited about the tutorial? All right. I know you can do better than that. I've heard you sing. But. So independent. That's a great temptation, isn't it? I'm just going to go do my thing. I don't need anybody. I, I, I can do it on my own. And for a lot of us, we grew up being taught that was a value. You know, be self-sufficient. You know, be strong in yourself. Don't need anyone. Take care of it. Deal with it. You know, go do it. 
And so there's a great temptation at independence. I don't really need the people around me. I don't want to need anybody. I want to be self-sufficient. I want to get out there and be like that. Independence is neat and it's clean. It's also unhealthy. Amen? On the other side, I'm not going to prompt you every time to say amen. I just want you to know that I am noticing. <laughs> you know. On the other end of that spectrum is codependence. And codependence is where I can't be happy unless everyone is doing what they're supposed to be doing. Which happens so frequently. I mean, it happens so frequently that everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Amen? The problem with codependency is never, ever, 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 ever at any moment is everyone doing what they're supposed to be doing. And codependency is that place where you go, I can't be happy, I can't be functional, I can't live in a healthy relationship because everybody's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Or somebody's not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And sometimes, you know, those are things that have to get worked out. But codependency is that thing that says everybody else needs to be doing something or I can't be happy. I can't be happy. Now contrast those two things with this other idea, interdependence. That's where I'm okay by myself. I'm okay. I, I, I have a sense of who I am. I have a sense of what's going on. I take responsibility for my own choices and behaviors. I, 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 but I choose to be in relationship. I choose. Amen. Now, I, I think we all fantasize about a symbiotic relationship. Everybody know what a symbiotic relationship is? I can't live without you. You can't live without me. This is a symbiotic relationship. Uh, we're told by sociologists that only one of those actually exists in the world, and that's a mother and a child, and that only exists for a very short amount of time. You know, symbiotic. <laughs> and it turns out that symbiotic relationships, why we romanticize those in our heads, they're actually not very healthy. The, the healthier relationship is this one. I'm okay. I'm a fully developed human being. I got ideas and resources and stuff going on. I'd be okay alone, but I'm choosing not to be. I'm choosing to be another, with another healthy person who's okay alone. And we're coming into a healthy, interdependent relationship. And when you stop and you think about it, listen to this crazy thing. From a core piece of theology... The trinity of God is an interconnected, interdependent relationship. And then God has the nerve to step into space with human beings and form an interdependent relationship with us. I wouldn't have done it that way. I mean, he, he comes in his revelation and he offers us his names. And then he offers us the story of his people. And he develops this idea in covenant Here's what I'll do, and here's what you'll do. We will be interdependent in this relationship, God and us. And he reveals through the law and through the prophets and through the kings and through the narrative and ultimately through the revelation of his son. And then he takes the whole dynamic story and he hands it to you and me. And he says, you guys take it forward from here. I wouldn't have done that. I would have pecked way better people than me. Amen? And yet, that is the interdependent nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He chooses you and he chooses me to go do the work of the kingdom. In fact, to be the body of Christ. We need someone with skin on. Oh, you happen to be the body of Christ. 
people with skin on. And he invites us into this space. It turns out friendship's super important. It turns out it's really important to our lives, to, our, to the psychology in which we live. It, it matters. Listen to this from an article written by Arlen Kunchik. Listen to what he says. Good friends teach you about yourself and challenge you to be better. They encourage you to keep going when times get tough, and they celebrate your successes with you. But friends do a lot more than give you a shoulder to cry on. They also have a positive impact on your health. Some research even says friendships are just as important to your well-being as eating right and exercising. I see a loophole here. <laughs> anybody, anybody else see it? <laughs> I just need a few more friendships and a corn dog. <laughs> That's not in the quote. So how do friendships contribute to your well-being? He offers six ways in which friendships contribute to your well-being. Again, this is just a sociological study. This is just a psychological study. This is, a, you know, we'll get to the Galatians 2 part in just a second. Number one, friends are good for your physical health. It turns out that studies tell us that people who have healthy friendships are healthier and have greater longevity than people who do not. You want to know how dramatic that is? A study in 2010 said people with close friendships have a 50% chance of greater longevity than people who do not have close friendships. You hear what I'm saying? 50%. 50% longer. No, that's not right. They have a 50% better. They have a 50% chance of having a longer life. That's what it is. That's amazing. That in fact, close friendship and close relationship impacts us in ways that transcend that physiological barrier. In other words, this emotional thing that happens between friendship and relationship actually impacts our physical bodies in very profound ways. Number two, friends encourage healthy behaviors. Studies say maybe the reason that, they, that it affects physical health so much is because friends influence healthy behavior. You know, so don't drink too much. You shouldn't do that. You need to get in. You know, da -da -da -da. Let's exercise together. Let's go for a walk. Those things contribute to better habits, to better healthy behaviors. Friends, number three, build your confidence. I don't know how many of you know this, but we as human beings suffer from insecurities. And, and sometimes the people closest to us feel obligated to tell us the most truth. Truth. Amen? And so friendships are places in which we have folks who come around us and encourage us, who, who, who call out what's good in us even when we don't feel good about ourselves. Don't you love friends like that? Yes. Where you can sort of pour out your heart and, you know, Ugh, I just, uh, uh. <laughs> and they go, oh, you know what's good about you? <laughs> your attitude. But they always see the best in us. And friendships are like that. They're good for us. Number four, friends help you beat stress. It turns out that people who uh, go through deep friendship, who are in very highly engaged friendships, it turns out that they are often unaware of the level of their stress. Studies tell us that they can go through some very stressful times and not mark them as stressful because they've journeyed with someone in the process and it didn't seem so egregious. So the reality of saying, you know, good friends, they make hard times easier. Amen. And they make good times better. 
and that's a good thing. Finally, the last one, friends push you to be your best. They don't just sit around and encourage you. They also see things in you that you could do better, and they call them out in very kind ways. You know, you, know, you, you are good at this, and you ought, to go the, you ought to do more of that, and it matters. And it seems to me that as we've gone through these last two years, that, that we've gotten into this ability to sort of disengage from people around us. I'll just be honest with you, and I'm going to do this a few times this morning as we kind of rush to an end here, but, but I, I'm just going to say some things about me, but what I really hope is that you think they're about you. Does that make sense? I'm just, I'll just talk about myself, but I hope, you, I hope you listen. I have a very vivid inner world. Anybody else? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would say I hear voices in my head, but that might cause concern, but... But I, and it seems like over these last two years, I went into the pandemic as, a, as an avowed extrovert. Like, I could not be around people enough. Like, I got energy from being with people, and if I weren't around people, I would need to call someone and go get a fix. Cause. And after two years in the pandemic, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Even an avowed extrovert, I'm like, I don't know, man, that's a lot of work. I'd have to put shoes on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I want to see those people or not. We're going to eat? We're going to sit down at a restaurant and eat? I don't know. I don't know. Couldn't they just bring us food here? <laughs> Can't we Zoom this? Could we eat dinner together by Zoom? Because, you know, I don't not need them in my space right here. Anybody else? It's gotten easier and easier to be isolated. And then what's happened to us in that isolation is we've sort of turned to social media as a way of building relationship. I don't know if you know this, but that's a terrible way to build relationship. Amen? I mean, not that everything on the Internet is not true, but it's just a weird kind of pseudo-connectedness that's going on. Zoom calling. Isn't that weird? Who imagined? We'd be sitting around having me, and now I don't want to have any other kind of meeting. It's like driving the car? What? That's crazy talk. And then what happens to us in isolation is we get more and more inside of ourselves. And we have very vivid inner worlds, and they have very few checks and balances. Where are your checks and balances? Because I don't know if you know this, but we live in a culture of confirmation bias, meaning... As you look at social media, as you engage online, they are not there to inform you. They are there to engage you. So they will continue to confirm what you are choosing to read over and over and over. Where are the checks and balances? The Scripture talks about this as wise counsel. Do you have wise counsel in your life and around you? That this life of interdependence is there for a reason. Proverbs really takes off on the whole idea. Proverbs eleven fourteen: For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Proverbs twelve fifteen: The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Proverbs fifteen twenty two: Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs nineteen twenty: Listen to advice and accept discipline, and at the end you will be counted among the wise. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but in the Lord, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Proverbs 28, 26, those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are safe. 
So what I want to do now is I just want to read to you Galatians 2 because Paul is now going to address this issue. In chapter 1, he's talked about his independence. He's talked about the fact that he met face-to-face with Jesus and Jesus gave him the gospel and he's all out on his own and he didn't consult anybody and this is the pure gospel and if you heard another gospel, even if an angel gave it to you, it's not the real gospel, this is it. And he's talked a lot in chapter 1 about his independence. Now listen to what he says to the Galatians. And, And as I read this, I just want... You can just be emotionally engaged on this and see what stands out to you. Galatians 2.1. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running or had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he's a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We didn't give, them in, we didn't give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference. To me, God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was already eager to do. So here's what's going on. So if you just kind of, just again, get, get a step back a little, we'll get the macro view of the story. There's this debate going on, and the debate that's sort of going is the Gentiles and how Jewish do the Gentiles have to be in order to join Christianity, and Peter sort of heads the group in Jerusalem, and he thinks they've got to be pretty Jewish in order to be, you know, Christian, and Paul, he's out there on his own doing the Gentile thing, and he doesn't think they need to be very Jewish at all. And there's some question about the authority of Paul as an apostle, so let's do our little vocabulary work for the New Testament. An apostle is a person who had been personally with Jesus, who had seen Jesus face to face. Paul never saw Jesus during his earthly life. He saw Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus in a vision from heaven. You remember the story. So the New Testament, and oftentimes Paul will refer to himself as the apostle born unnaturally, or the apostle born out of time. He will talk about himself as that apostle who saw Jesus face to face, but not under the same circumstances as the other apostles. And so that comes up in these conversations between the Judaizers, who are not the same people as Peter and John and James and the leaders, but some spin out of that group. It comes up often in these letters because they'll say, well, he's not even a real apostle. So what stood out to you while I read that? Anything jump off the page at you? Here's what stood out to me. After 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem to meet with them. After 14 years, I had a thriving ministry. Things were going great. Churches were getting planted. Everything was going good. But I went because I saw a need to recognize what was happening and to bring together the life of the church. I I went up. Because I saw a need to be 
interdependent in our relationships. That even though I had lived in independence for 14 years, it's not okay to live in independence. And I needed some checks and balances to my very vivid spiritual world and inner world. So after 14 years, I went up. That's a powerful story. One commentator said he chose independence, not anarchy. Amen? I'll tell you what concerns me right now. Concerns me right now in the life of the church is that you can spin the dial and listen to any preacher you want to listen to around the world. Where is the accountability? Where is it? We don't know these people. I'm, I'm getting videos every day about prophecies. I just want to know who's going to hold those folks accountable. Some of those folks have been making those prophecies for 20 years, and they're still making them. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful in the life of the church. There has to be checks and balances, but it has to be rooted in wisdom. And Paul, who had established his independence, didn't want anarchy. He wanted structure. He wanted to come under the authority of the church of Jesus Christ. He wasn't fighting a rebellion. He was leading a cause to be more and more Christ-like. And he made a choice to be interdependent, to surrender his independence in favor of something else, accountability, structure. And so he goes up. I see seven things. I know that will depress you. But they are short. Paul took initiative. He took initiative. We talk a lot in the church about self-sacrifice. Listen, if we're going to be self-sacrificing, there needs to be a self to sacrifice. Amen? we got to do some work in here. We have to have initiative. I need a prayer life. I, I need a time in the Word. I need time in the presence of God. I need structure in here. I can't depend on everything. That would be codependency. Needing, you know, the pastor to deliver a great sermon every week. Listen, he's not that good. He's just not. It just, he's he's going to swing and miss a lot. So there's an initiative. And Paul... He's taken it after 14 years. 14 years. I was out there on my own. And it was a gospel given to me by Jesus himself. That's pretty good. I didn't get it anywhere else. Jesus said, here it is. Take it and go with it. And for 14 years, I lived in that initiative. But after 14 years, I went to step two. Number one, healthy interconnected relationships involve initiative number two they involve respect I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders I presented to them the gospel I was preaching because I didn't want to be out of step I didn't want to be out of step respect is a big issue in our culture maybe I should say that differently the lack of respect is a big issue in our culture I don't know how many of you do this but I do this all the time when I hear people talk on TV, particularly politicians, you know what I wish? <laughs> I think somebody said I wish they would shut up, but I don't know if that was true. Maybe I misheard. No, what I wish is, what I wish is they would show each other respect. Amen? Because I don't think there's any of those people who serve in that way who know everything. And while I really desire that leaders show respect for one another, I have to bring that home. And I have to ask myself, do I show respect? 
Jesus said this. You've heard it said, do not kill. I say to you, do not say raka to your brother. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, and it's untranslatable from the Aramaic, but this is what it means in a nutshell. Do not show contempt for another human being. You've heard it said not to harm their physical body. I'm saying not to harm their character or their person. Don't attack their reputation. Show honor and show respect. And Paul, while he, he seems like he's on a campaign to rid himself of that influence in Jerusalem, what does he do instead? He chooses to go after 14 years of his own initiative and development as a human being and as a leader, he goes and he respects those who are esteemed as leaders. He doesn't just respect them. Number three, he practices humility. I wanted to be sure that what they were saying to me, that what I'm saying was on the right track. I wanted to be sure. I wanted to submit myself to their leadership. I wanted to submit myself to their opinion. I I wanted to be in that space with them. He's willing to be wrong. How often do we enter conversations being willing to be wrong and willing to be corrected? We have this fantasy in communication, and the fantasy is, I want to give you the last 10%. I want to know you and be so safe in relationship that I can say everything that's in my heart right down to the last 10%. Amen? Amen. You've heard that expression? The sermon goes longer if you don't, if you don't appease me. <laughs> so, so if you want to get out, say, oh, yeah, we know that. You know the last 10% conversation? Oh, yeah, good, good. So we don't need to go over that. (laughs) Here's the problem. Some of us not only can't hear the last 10%, we can't hear the first 10%. And all of our friends know it. So they can't say anything to us because they already know. That's off limits. You can't talk about that. You can't say that. You can't bring that up. That's a sore spot. And isn't it ironic? The places where we need the most help are the places we're most sore where we're most sensitive, where we feel the most uncomfortable. Paul humbles himself. See, he takes the initiative to say, help me. Help me. I'm opening the door. Number four, there's honesty. He says, oh, and by the way, here's Titus, who chose not to be circumcised. I mean, it's just a moment of disclosure as he stands in front of these people who are trying to work this out and figure out how Jewish you have to be. And so he goes, oh, by the way, here's Titus, who's in leadership who's a part of this leadership team, who's settling churches and winning people to Christ, and he's not circumcised. There's a level of honesty and vulnerability in this little story, which is powerful. Because I don't know about you, but I don't feel that comfortable being transparent with people. Amen? Because you never know. I mean, you can get in trouble for all kinds of things you didn't even know were a thing. Amen? That's why interconnected relationships and interdependent relationships are so important. We don't dominate We have very vivid inner worlds. We think what we think and know what we know. But there are very few checks and balances in that process. And we need checks and balances. Number five, there's strength. He says, listen. I'll just read it to you because it'll be simpler. This is what he says, verse four. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ. We didn't give in to them, not for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. This inner connected relationship, this interdependent relationship, is not a place where we just run up the white flag and listen to what everybody says. (laughs) There's strength in it. No, I don't think that. Well, I appreciate what you're saying, but I don't agree. Remember, initiative was the development of myself. There was a whole human being here 
humble before God, in a loving, grace-filled relationship with God. And so sometimes I have to just push back and go, well, I, I appreciate that you see that and think that. But, but I've thought about that. <laughs> I've been respectful and, and humble and honest, and I don't agree. In an interconnected relationship, that's okay. There's strength in there. It's not about just surrendering and giving up. Number six, there's affirmation. After we talked about it, they extended to me the hand of fellowship and said, Way to go, Paul! Way to go! It seems like God's called you to the Greeks. You go and do your thing. Peter's called to the Jews. He's going to do his thing. We're all going to do everything we can for the kingdom of God. Way to go! An interconnected and interdependent relationships bring affirmation to our story, to our life, to our work, to where we're going in our journey to what we want to accomplish, to what we need to accomplish. And finally, number seven, there's challenge. All they asked me to do was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was already anxious to do. These interconnected and interdependent relationships don't just affirm us, they also challenge us. And so at the end, the the apostles gather around them and they say, look, we're learning, we're growing together, we understand what you know, we understand what you've seen, we understand the development that's happening. But here's one thing that's just non-negotiable. Be sure you're taking care of the poor out there. One of the distinctive marks of the church is that make a difference in the real world. Would you be sure that you're making a difference? I mean, all this philosophical, spiritual good, but would you be sure that you're making a difference in the real world? Every day, all the time, every conversation, every word. And I think what's so powerful about this story is, listen, we need someone with skin on. We really do. And we don't just surround ourselves with people who think like we think and see what we see and understand what we understand. The saddest thing that could ever happen to the church is that we could fill it up with a bunch of people who all think the exact same thing. Amen? Because somewhere in this working out our salvation with fear and trembling and with honor and respect and honesty comes a thing called maturity. And we need it. We need it. We need it in each other. And we need it in our culture. And we need it in our world. I'm going to use this quote over and over because I love it. Philip Yancey said, I left the church because of a lack of grace. I came back because I could find it nowhere else. And this is what I want you to take home. Listen, attitude matters. This institution called the Church of Jesus Christ is the great hope of the world. We are imperfect and broken, and I hope when we come out of this pandemic, we become a far better church than we have ever been before. Amen? I hope it changes us to the very foundation of who we are, not just Montrose Church, but every church in the world. I hope we are different when this is over. But it matters. It matters that we gather. It matters that we display the grace of God. It matters that we connect deeply in relationships. It matters that we love God and have accountability above us. And it matters that we love each other as we love ourselves. This ought to be the most loving place on earth. The New Testament church was filling up because they had never experienced that kind of grace and that kind of love and that kind of fellowship anywhere else in the whole world. And I'm guessing today... That is no longer true of the church. That we find far safer places to be in friendship and relationship than here. And that ought not be. 
This ought to be the most loving, graceful place on the planet. People ought to be fighting to get in here, not because we're doing something great, but just because we're celebrating a gospel of Jesus Christ that pulls the very best out of human beings and connects them to their creator and creates a kind of dynamic between us and God and us and others that is found nowhere else on earth. That's our challenge. That's who we are. God, would you help us? We need you. We recognize that you've invited us to a whole different kind of living, a whole different kind of relationship, a whole different kind of attitude, an attitude that's, that's born in the depths of creation, an attitude that's not dependent on our own goodness, but on the grace of a loving God who pours out forgiveness, 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 forgiveness. Oh, you blew it. Get up. Dust yourself off. I will bury it in the sea of my forgetfulness, and I will in all things work for the good. I'll take what was devastating and broken, and I'll build strength out of it if you'll let me. And not only will I pour out grace on you, but then you pour out grace on others. Do it in your attitude, in your thoughts. When you feel the pinch, when you feel the ouch, when you feel the anger, surrender it and invite God to teach us to love. And God, would you help us? Maybe this week we just go out and assess the relationships and the friendships that you've already put around us. Good sources, good people. Maybe we've let some things drift and we're not paying as close of attention as we ought. Lord, this pandemic is going to end sometime. And when it does... We want to be sure that we're the people you've invited and called us to be, and relationships matter. Help us to tend them, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.